welcome to Leveraging the Laboratory, a Mayo Clinic Laboratories podcast for administrators, outreach managers, and laboratory professionals to learn how to best leverage and optimize the laboratory for patients, clients, and staff. I'm your host, Jane Hermanson. I'm the outreach manager for Mayo Clinic Laboratories. And joining me today is Shannon Bennett. Shannon is the Director of Regulatory Affairs for Mayo Clinic's Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology. And the focus of our discussion today is related to our favorite topic, Shannon, laboratory regulations, and more specifically, what's impacting outreach programs both today and tomorrow, and how can we as professionals stay in the know? So it's going to be pretty exciting. I'm excited. But I think, Shannon, in order for us to understand where you're coming from, I'd like to know a little bit more if you can tell us what your role is at Mayo Clinic and what you do for our laboratory department. Sure. Thanks, Jane. Well, this might be one of the first times I've heard someone refer to regulations as exciting. So thank you for that. So I have kind of a, a dual purpose role. One of my roles is working with um, our laboratory sections here at Mayo to understand regulations. So as regulations change, or if they have a question about the interpretation of a regulation, quite often I or someone from my team will be brought in to help advise the laboratory. And this could be clear regulations, this could be College of American Pathologists, accreditation standards, state regulations, et cetera. So it really runs the gamut. I think as everyone is aware, we are heavily regulated in the laboratory. And then externally, I have a very strong advocacy role related to some of the things I think we're going to talk about here in a little bit, but working with various organizations like the American Clinical Laboratory Association, talking with Congress, talking with the FDA, talking with CMS and other governmental agencies, and really advocating for laboratory. Fantastic. So I'm guessing you're sometimes the bearer of bad news, but hopefully bearer of good news for us as well. So given that, obviously, you've got your fingers on the pulse of what's going on out there, what do you see today as the biggest regulatory challenges for the lab industry in the near and then also the longer term horizons? Yeah, it's been a very busy December already. So there, there are a lot of things going on right now. Firstly, you know, CMS has released their roadmap for ending the public health emergency. So during the PHE, there have been numerous waivers and enforcement discretion that CMS has been using. For example, remote review of digital images, for example, for pathologists. And so they've released a roadmap on how they're going to handle these various waivers after the PHE ends. So for example, they're going to continue using enforcement discretion for pathologists reviewing digital images. So those folks can still work from their home office reviewing cases. However, other laboratory staff are not included in that. So if you have a cytogenetics technologist who's doing remote review today under a PHE waiver, once the PHE ends, that individual will either have to get a CLIA certificate for their home office, or they will need to come back on site. So that could cause some challenges for laboratories, especially those who have a lot of staff who are working remotely. Another challenge is around the uh, Protecting Access to Medicare Act, or PAMA. So PAMA was passed back in 2014, and one of the elements of PAMA relates to reimbursement for laboratory testing. So the government doesn't want to pay too much for lab testing, which makes sense. Unfortunately, CMS used an algorithm essentially to calculate lab rates. And we feel like that algorithm is fundamentally flawed. Essentially, they asked for pricing information from a select group of laboratories. And these tended to be very high volume you know, commercial laboratories who, of course, due to economies of scale, 
can charge less for their tests compared to like a hospital laboratory, a laboratory that supports a nursing home and, and those kinds of, of places where their costs tend to be higher. And so what that has resulted in is the clinical lab fee schedule having dramatically lower reimbursement for quite a few different tests, hundreds of tests. And so that obviously is very concerning to labs. And you can't take a 30% haircut on your reimbursement and be able to operate a laboratory. So that is one area of concern as well. There is a piece of legislation right now that is before Congress called SALSA, which essentially would direct CMS to redo their algorithm and to make it more representative of all laboratories, not just commercial laboratories. And then the final big item that we're watching is the VALID Act, the Verifying Accurate Leading Edge IVCT Development Act. What this would do is it would empower FDA to regulate laboratory-developed tests. So today, if you are a kit manufacturer, pick your favorite, they are regulated by FDA. They need to submit data to the FDA and get approval before they can sell you that test kit. LDTs historically have not been regulated by the FDA, and FDA would very much like to regulate LDTs. And so the VALID Act would give them, them that explicit authority and would put IVD test kits and laboratory-developed tests under the same regulatory umbrella and create this new class of product called an IVCT or an in vitro clinical test. So those are the three kind of big areas that I'm watching today, VALID, SALSA, and the end of the PHE. So I think from an outreach program perspective, probably the thing that is going to affect us the most is the revenue aspect through PAMA. So we are very much cheering for salsa, yay salsa, not just a dancer, a great food, but really something that could really help us as an industry. So we're keeping our fingers crossed for that. Any idea of the likelihood of that passing quickly? So salsa faces an uphill climb because we're essentially asking the government to spend more money, and they don't always like to do that. I think it's important for us to continue advocating for salsa, but I do think it has a higher hill to climb, so to speak. The VALID Act, there's been a flurry of activity the last couple of weeks around VALID. There's a lot of forward momentum on that. I still put it at 50-50, but I'm a lot more confident today than I was even a week ago that VALID could pass. And so the vehicle for both of those pieces of legislation is the end of the year omnibus spending package. So Congress basically puts together the budget and passes that, and a lot of ancillary legislation gets tucked in there. And so right now, the question is, will SALSA and or VALID be included in that omnibus spending package? So in the next, honestly, two weeks, we should have a, a much clearer idea of whether VALID or SALSA will come to be. Okay, excellent. So that was a little bit of acronym question. So I think the next question that I have for you is, related to, so you talked about some of your involvement with different associations and advocating. And I think that what we see so often is that mm -hmm. politics are delivered locally. And a lot of these decisions are truly made at a local level, or they're starting to being influenced at a local level. Do you have any ideas of how to maximize our own professional advocacy and even at the personal level for our outreach program clients? Great question. It sounds cliche, but one of the best things you can do is call your local congresspeople, call your senator, call your representative. 
the one silver lining of the COVID pandemic may be that everyone now understands what a clinical laboratory is because testing obviously was such a huge issue. So we are on the radar. And so it's a great opportunity to leverage that and talk with your representatives and your senators about the value that the laboratory brings to healthcare and to patients. 70% of the medical record is test results. So we play a tremendous role in healthcare. The other thing you can do is there are dozens and dozens of professional societies out there. Talk about acronyms, I could give you a whole bunch of them. But professional societies are a great way to stay connected. All of them will have an advocacy arm. Many of them do what are called Hill Days, where they'll actually take representatives from the lab and go out to Washington, D.C. and go door-to-door, essentially talking to Congress people. So professional societies are a great avenue for that as well. Fantastic. And I think really my last big question for you is related to how do you stay on top of things? So you mentioned there are tons of professional societies. Are there any of your kind of favorite resources or websites or email lists or anything that you would refer to on a daily basis that can help you understand this landscape a little bit better? Yeah, so there are approximately a million different newsletters and resources. So, so my first advice is don't subscribe to everything, right? Because it can become overwhelming very quickly. I would recommend folks find a handful of resources, three, four resources that are routinely valuable to them and routinely talk about the things that they are interested in and care about and subscribe to those. So again, quite often professional societies will have newsletters. There are news aggregators out there like uh, 360DX is one that, that I use. Many of them are free, some of them are paid. So that's another thing to look at, but that would be my biggest advice is don't subscribe to everything. Try to be selective. Absolutely, it can be pretty overwhelming. And so you mentioned just telling our value story to our elected officials. And you mentioned that the 70% of the data is the in the medical record comes from laboratory. That's absolutely true. And one way that I like to spin that is to explain and remind people that the laboratory touches between four and five times more patients in a healthcare system than anyone, any other service line in a hospital, more mm-hmm. than physical therapy, more than imaging. So when you think about the impact that we have on that community, we really are engaged and we can be the faces of our organizations. And one would hope that our organizations are actually advocating on behalf of the lab also. So what I've learned from you today, we have PAMA, which is looming, hoping that Salsa comes in to save the day. It's one thing. Valid Act. And I hear something called vital. Is that a good alternative? And when you think about a community-based hospital who's maybe not doing a lot of lab-developed tests, Can you explain what that might mean at a community hospital level, valid versus vital, and how that plays into? Sure. So the VALID Act, one important thing to know about that is it is bipartisan and bicameral. So it has Republican and Democrat sponsors in both the House and the Senate. And that's a big deal. The VITAL Act, on the other hand, takes the opposite approach to VALID, which is VITAL says we should update CLIA to make it stronger for laboratory-developed tests, but FDA should not regulate lab-developed tests. So it's kind of the mirror of VALID. VITAL, however, only has one co-sponsor in the Senate, and so it doesn't really seem to have a path forward. It has been introduced, but it doesn't have any real traction. Now, to the second part of your question, what impact will VALID have on you know, a small community hospital? 
If you're not performing laboratory developed tests, valid likely won't affect you. However, there's a giant asterisk there. And that is, if you're taking an FDA cleared kit and you're making modifications to it, that turns mm -hmm. it into a, a lab developed test. So if I have a kit that is, the, the package insert indicates it's for serum and serum alone, and I start using it on plasma samples or whole blood samples, that is now an LDT. And so valid would potentially impact you. So I think it's, it's a really critical point. And, and we've expressed to FDA numerous times that education for labs is going to be so, so important if valid passes and gets rolled out because your typical laboratorian, we don't speak FDA, right? This is a whole new world for us. And it's a very significant shift from CLIA, which is in fairness, really more focused on laboratory operations versus test development. Just staying informed, you know, we talked about some of the resources available to stay informed and don't hesitate to reach out to your resources at your institution, for example, to you know, help understand the impact of, of legislation coming down the road. I think that's an important point. Sure. Are there any kind of regional, local, or statewide legislations that could be impacting our industry in the future? Are you aware of anything that may be at a local level that is not at the national level? One that I know that comes up from time to time in various states revolves around technologist licensure. You know, some states currently require licensure for technologists and others don't. And so that impacts potentially your ability to staff. You know, if you don't, if you have a bunch of staff that aren't licensed and now suddenly they need to get licensed, some of them may opt not to do that and leave. And of course, we have a huge staffing issue across the country right now with technologists. So that might be one to, to keep an eye on. And I think it just comes down to making sure that we have the right staff in the right place doing the right work. And when you have scientists in your laboratory that they're not doing more routine tasks like data entry and things like that, we're making sure that we're, they're working to the top of their licenses. Of Absolutely. course, we have staffing issues at the lower levels as well. So it's not just at the technologist level. All right. Well, Shannon, I'm trying to think of what other exciting things I can get you to tell us about the, the federal environment today. I think you've given us a good insight. I really appreciate the view on the public health emergency and how that impacts the work that some of our staff might be doing remotely and how they may be coming back in. We're still hoping that PAMA does not press through and that there's a, a relief so that we're not subject to the massive pay cuts. I think that valid, vital, whatever version it takes is going to impact the way that we work in our laboratories and kind of work with uh, unusual testing. But I really appreciate your view on advocacy and not being silent because when we are silent, staying in the basement, we're not going to be supporting what our organizations really need. And it's not just our organizations, but also our patients. Absolutely. So any other last words of words of wisdom? I don't think so. I just appreciate right. talking to you today. You bet. So today we've been talking with Shannon Bennett about the ever-changing regulatory environment. So thank you all for joining us today. We invite you to share your thoughts and questions by email. Please direct any suggestions to mcloutreach at mayo.edu and reference this podcast. So if you've enjoyed this Leveraging the Laboratory podcast, please subscribe. And until next time, we encourage you to continue to promote your community-based hospital laboratory. And remember, the needs of the patient come first. Thank you.